we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, your word to us is life. Um, So we pray that you would uh, restore our souls as we hear it. That this would be a a time uh, when we'd hear your word and be blessed in a way that um, we really can praise you, give you thanks and submit to you in joyful obedience. That be our worship to you. So please now take this passage of scripture and work it in our minds and our hearts uh, that we may uh, worship and love you with our lives. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Ephesians in chapter 5. I want to read again verses 15 through 21. Ephesians in chapter 5, please. This is the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I want, if God will help me to take up um, um, verses 19 through 21, where Paul speaks of the marks of the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is what it it looks like uh, when a people is and when People individually are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember that uh, when we, we began this passage, at least beginning in, beginning in verse 18, Paul made a contrast between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And he said to us that being drunk with wine uh, leads to debauchery. That is, that, that uh, wine, too much of it, uh, can dull our senses. And uh, lead us to thoughts, perhaps, and words and actions that we may one day regret or even forget. And we, he says, this is debauchery. We don't understand the consequences of our actions when we're influenced by wine. Because it dulls us. It dulls our senses. Um, you remember that that was what was true of the prodigal in the Jesus, Jesus's parable of the prodigal son. He said he, he lived a life of debauchery. After he got his inheritance, he went and he, he lived a life of recklessness, really. He wasn't thinking of the consequences of his actions at all. And, and it wasn't perhaps even drunkenness that led to this debauchery, but, but he, his senses were, were so overtaken, his understanding, his mind, his heart was so over, overtaken by other things that he lived recklessly, which really ultimately means that you live without a real sense of who God is. That's real reckless living, you see. When we live without a conscious understanding, a conscience, conscious reliance upon the presence of God in our lives. Um, you remember Jesus. Chilling words, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? That's the sense of reckless living. What could be more reckless than to lose your soul? 
And so when we're overtaken by that which isn't true of God in our hearts and our minds, whether we're ruled by the desire for pleasure, the desires for possessions or desire of position or acceptance by our peers, or whether we're ruled by bitterness or anger or malice or whatever it is that we've been talking about, if that rules us and takes us away from God, that's reckless living. It dulls our senses. We don't really understand who God is and and how we're to live from and for him. And so uh, that leads ultimately to a wrecked life. It leads to debauchery, if you will. And so now he says we're to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, That is, the Holy Spirit of God is to fill us, that we're to be controlled by his presence in our lives. That's a command, and and it's a, a command that says this is to be true of us continuously. It's always to be true of us. Uh, you know, the old language that preachers would use uh, on this expression was that we're to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the language I grew up with anyway. Be, we're to be being filled all the time with the Holy Spirit, it's a continual thing, never a break in it. And, and we said, well, how do we obey that? Well, we obey that by being filled with his word, by being filled with the word of Christ, that it dwells in us. As Paul writes to the church in Colossae, being filled with his word in such a way then that our thoughts are yielded to the Holy Spirit who breathed out this word. We're to pray so that our whole lives are yielded in dependence in, not independent, but in dependence upon God. That's when we're praying, it's an expression of dependence. I need you. I can't. You can. That's why we pray, you see. And so uh, this being filled with the Spirit uh, says that we're really praying to yield our whole lives, if you will, to the Spirit who is Within us. And we said also we need the fellowship of the church. We need to be together. Because Paul said in chapter 4 that, that, that God gives gifts to the church for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or mature being followers of Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If we want the fullness of Christ, you see, then we need to be in the life of the church because God gives gifts to us um, through and in the church that we may grow up together, grow to the fullness of Christ. And you see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The job of the Holy Spirit, if we can put it that crassly, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to bring Christ to us up close and personal. You remember um, when Jesus was with his disciples and John Chapter chapters 14 through 16, he talks to them and to us about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he speaks of the Holy Spirit like this. He says, he'll glorify me. He'll reflect me. And so when we're thinking about Jesus, when we're desiring to be conformed to his image, when we want power to witness of him, then that's a manifestation of the Spirit of God in us because he's Showing us who Jesus is. I didn't use this illustration last week. I wanted to. It's one of the things that I think about when I'm walking out. What didn't I say? 
Um, and one of the things I didn't say uh, last Sunday, Karen's always kind to say, you know, they don't know what you didn't say, so don't worry so much about it. Uh, and I go, but I do. I meant to say this. I've used this illustration before, so uh, a few of you actually commented to me about it in, in a book called Keep in Step with the Spirit by uh, J.I. Packer. He uses this illustration. He says there was a time when he was, he was, he was preaching at a church and uh, it was dark. It was an evening service. And so he was walking up to the church. And, and as he did, it was, a, it was a beautiful old stone building, you see. And, and as he was walking to it, he, he began to admire the architecture and the stonework and how beautiful the building was. And then it dawned on him that it was dark. And then he realized that the only reason he could see the building so vividly was because hidden in the bushes were spotlights. And it was the work of these spotlights to, to, to glorify the building so you could see the building. You see, well, that's what he then called the spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit, that it's the Holy Spirit who spotlights Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit's desire that we not spend time spotlighting him, but that we see what he desires for us to see, which is Jesus and to form Christ in us and to give then to us power to witness of Jesus, uh, spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we're to be filled with this Holy Spirit. So we know then that we're filled with the Spirit, then, then we'll be witnessing of Christ because we'll know him. And we'll also know that we'll be growing in holiness, being conformed to the image of Jesus. So we know that to be true, being filled with the Spirit. But now notice, uh, as Paul comes down, he says, well, if you're drunk with wine, it leads to debauchery, that is ultimately reckless living, living away from God. But now if we're filled with the Spirit, we think the opposite. It, it, it heightens our senses to who God is, right? And Christ, who he is. And so here's how he puts uh, what will happen. For you English majors, he puts it in terms of these participles that are dependent upon the primary verb being filled. And so he says, you'll be addressing, you'll be singing, you'll be thanking, and you'll be submitting. All right? If, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what we'll see is you'll be addressing or speaking, you'll be singing, and you'll be um, uh, thanking and you'll be submitting. So he says, the first one is that we're to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then we'll be singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. And then we'll be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit individually, if you're in a church filled with the Spirit, then then. That's what you'll that's what you'll see. And I have to be honest, it's a bit surprising. I would have expecting expected him to say, if you're filled with spirit with the spirit, you'll have great power to witness of Christ. And and if you're filled with the spirit, then you'll be being conformed to the image of Christ and you'll see holiness uh, in, in your lives, you see. But I think that's exactly what he's saying. Now, these first three reflect, if you will, what happens when we gather to worship. 
we're addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Isn't it weird? If you think that we're supposed to speak to each other only with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you'd go, that would be kind of weird. See you at the grocery store, start singing, you sing back. Everybody's going, okay, right? Not going to go to that church. Um, uh, so, so, but when do we do this? When do we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Well, when we gather to worship. And when do we sing and make melody in our hearts to God? Well, you can do it any time, obviously. You're driving down the street uh, or, 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 or any place, really. But we do that when we come to worship. And when do we give thanks? Well, of course, we, we do that always and for everything. But, but particularly when we gather to worship. And so here we are in a worship context. And so when we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we are bearing witness to each other of who Christ is and what he's done. And it's a powerful witness. So powerful a witness that Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, speaks of a situation where where unbelievers come into a gathering where all are prophesying or all are speaking the truth of God, all are singing about God and his truth and what is really true of Christ in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24. And Apostle says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God really is among you. In other words, there's something powerful about worship and our gathering together. We mustn't ever forget, you see. It's a powerful witness of who, of who God is. And not only that, but as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, uh, it's, a, it's a sign to say the Holy Spirit has worked in such a way that we're becoming holy because we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in order to serve each other and to love each other, you see. So let's think about these uh, together quickly. Uh, The first, he says that we are to um, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I've heard sermons trying to delineate between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There are books about that, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Psalms, we could say, referring to that which we find in the Old Testament Psalter. Good with that. Hymns, well, uh, hymns, we we know hymns. And there were hymns, at least suspected hymns, uh, that are even cited a bit in the New Testament. Uh, Some would say that the uh, uh, profession of faith that we use from time to time out of Colossians chapter 1 is is an early hymn that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He might be preeminent and so forth. It, uh, perhaps that was an early, just the way it's written gives the impression to some that that would be an early hymn of the church or then the wonderful passage um, in, in Philippians in chapter 2 concerning uh, our Lord Jesus, um, beginning in verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself 
uh, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly bestowed, uh, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know how that went sung, but many say that's a early church hymn. Hymns, things that we write, that we sing to God. Spiritual songs, songs of the, from the Holy Spirit within us. Songs from the heart. I don't know. Songs that we sing uh, together. What's interesting, and this is something that I don't know when it first dawned on me. I'm sure someone had to tell me. But that when we come to worship, we actually sing to each other as well as to God. See, if I'm taking a multiple choice test and the, and the question is, to whom do we sing when we come to worship? I would, I would circle the one to God, right? When we come to worship, we sing to him. But that's not what Paul says here. He says we also, in a minute he'll say we sing to God, but we also sing to each other. We sing psalms, we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We did that this morning. Uh, the psalm, we didn't sing it. It was our call to worship, Psalm 95. It was to us. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. To whom is that addressing? It's addressing us. We're addressing each other. Come on, everybody. That's what this is saying. Come on, everybody. Let's sing. Let's, let's, uh, let, let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. It's sort of like if you were out in the narthex and you hear the music start, you start elbowing each other. Come on, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. That's what this call to worship is. That's why we use psalms very often as a call to worship. Because we're speaking to, we're addressing ourselves here. We're not addressing God. And then we tell each other why we should do this. Somebody say, well, why should we sing and why should we come into worship? Oh, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea, the sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. In other words, come on in and let's worship this God together. So we're addressing each other. And then we said, okay, come, let us worship, bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's our God. We're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. Okay, let's go. So we've, we address each other. Now, there are psalms that we could sing and, and use that address God directly. Oh, Lord, hear my prayer, right? But, but this psalm addresses us. So we need to listen to each other when we're in the psalms. And in, in our first hymn, um, it's addressed to us, not to God, right? Come, Christians, join to sing, hallelujah, amen, Loud praise to Christ our King. Hallelujah. Let all with heart and voice uh, before his throne rejoice. Praise is his gracious choice. Hallelujah. Amen. So, so we're singing this song to us, really. But if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, who's originating this address? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Who's originating this address? It's the Holy Spirit. He's at work in us, you see. 
And he's working us in such a way that we know enough to be able to say to each other, come on, let's go worship God. Let's go do this. Why? Because he's the rock of our salvation. Uh, He's the great God. He's the creator. He's our God. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Um, and, And we come then to give loud praise to Christ, who is our king. Think of it. Christ is our king. He's the one who's conquered sin and death. Why wouldn't we do this? And so we're to address one another with psalms and hymns. That's uh, all with heart and voice. Praise is his gracious choice. So if you were wondering, how should we address him? Well, his choice is that we praise him. His choice is that we give him thanks. His, his, his choice is that we say great things about him, you see, to praise him. He's our guide and friend. Wow. Why should I worship him? Well, he's our guide, you know. We're lost without him. He's our friend. Uh, Wonderful passage. Psalm 25. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will make known to them his covenant. In other words, if you fear him, gives you friendship. And, and, and as a friend, he tells you what his plans are. He gives you his promises. As Jesus said, I call you my friends. A servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but you know because I tell you. You're my friend in that sense, you see. He's our guide and friend. And, and he'll condescend to us. Because you might be thinking, as you come into worship, God will never show up here. Not with us. I mean, right? Can't even get my kids to call me. How can I get God to show up in my life? Well, he'll condescend to us. He'll come. Why? <clears throat> because his love shall never end, you see. And, uh, and there'll be strain in this life, but don't worry. A blissful sure is coming. And then we'll adore his goodness. When we come to communion, we'll, we'll sing a song as well. When we come to communion, we'll, we'll sing a song that uh, says, Come as you are. And that's, again, addressed to us. So as you're coming for communion and you're singing, realize that this hymn, is, is this, this song, I guess you would call it, is, is addressed to us. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted. Let, us, let the rescue begin. Uh, come find mercy. Sinner, come and kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. And you say, why should I come to this table? Because you're coming to Christ, you see. You're coming to his very presence. Just, so just come. So I, I don't have anything to bring but my sin. Of, of course. Well, just come, you see. You haven't anything to buy you this, you see. Just, just come. Just come. So we should listen to that. But, but, but who's really calling us to come? Well, we're filled, you see, with the Holy Spirit. And so when we gather together and we sing these things, we need to hear them from the Spirit of God. From the Spirit of God. That's why this is the filling of the Spirit. Because you see, uh, being filled, we, we know who Jesus is. And so, so then we speak and sing these things which invite us, you see, to come into the very, uh, the very presence of God. And we know it's the Holy Spirit because we're glorifying Jesus. We're glorifying who he, he is. But not only do we sing these uh, songs, these hymns and spiritual songs and, and psalms to each other, but also to God. Notice how he puts it. He 
He says, singing and making melody uh, to the Lord with your heart. And so these songs are to him. And, and we'll do that too. We've done that already. Some of our songs are directed uh, to the Lord. For instance, the song we sang, King of Saints, Jesus Christ, God's holy lamb, we will laud thy lovely name. And so, so we just, we just let it go. We just address him. We're going to laud you. Now, if you can't sing that from the heart, you have to ask yourself the question, do I really know him? Do I really know him? If, I, if, if that doesn't do anything for me, you say, well, I don't like the tune. It's no excuse, right? But do you know? Can you laud, can you praise his lovely name? Do you realize that you are saved by God's decree? Do you know what that means? To be saved by his decree. That means you weren't saved by anything you did. Or anything you initiated. Or anything you even wanted. But you're saved by his decree. He said, I'm going to save you. And he did it. Do we get that? Do we know from what we have been saved? And to whom and by whom we have been saved. And so he says, sing this. Uh, making melody to, um, uh, to the Lord with your heart. Your very guts. You go, yes, I get this. And, 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 and why is this a manifestation of the filling of the Spirit? Because we wouldn't know this. We can't know this unless the Spirit of God has moved on us in such a way that we would really know it, that we've been saved by His decree. And, and, and that's why we have to realize, you see, believing Christians, that we know that God's done something in us. He really has by His Spirit. And now we know God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, you should be singing about that, people. <laughs> because you know him. And how do you know him? Only by this Holy Spirit who fills you. And so when you're filled with him, what you're filled with is the knowledge of Christ. And thus you should be filled with great joy because you've been saved, as we have it here, by God's decree. You see, he's washed us in his blood. He's made us kings and priests to God. Prior to that, we were just condemned. And now we're kings and priests to him. Ah, and so then, one phrase to us, souls redeemed, your voices raise, sing your dear Redeemer's praise, and then we turn to God, worthy thou of love and laud, King of saints, incarnate God. You see, we know him. Have you ever been asked to write a letter of recommendation or a reference to someone you don't really know? We all have, if you've been in any positions of anything, and you've been asked to write these references, and, and you think, I don't know you. I don't know what to say. But you see, if the Spirit of God has filled us, then we know Jesus. We know him. And then we should know what to say. And we should want to sing. Can I just say to you, if you don't want to sing, well, read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, okay? <laughs> I didn't say it. He did. If the Spirit of God is in you, you see, you'll sing. 
Why? Because you know him. And that will move you to sing. That's why it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God, you see. To speak to each other and say, come on, let's go worship. You wouldn't say that without being filled with the Holy Spirit. So come, let's go worship. We need to do this. And you might think, well, I'm standing in the hall talking to a friend. And the friend should look at you. Oh, worship is starting. We, we need to stop talking. We need to get in here. All right, that was a little self-serving. I know. I, I know, I know. Just, but, you know. But, but we really do. This is not unimportant. This is a mark of the Holy Spirit to want to tell people to come to worship. It's a mark of the filling of the Spirit to come in and worship. Because you wouldn't know this without the Spirit of God. That's why I think about often that wonderful expression from Ezekiel chapter 36. That he'll give you a new heart. Take out your heart of stone. Put in a heart of flesh. A new heart. And once we have that new heart, you see, we're inclined towards him. And as the Spirit of God fills us with his word and fills us to be dependent upon him, and we live, you see, then we can't help but say, come on, let's, let's go and worship and let's speak of him. Because, you know, it spills out from here. It isn't just that we sing here and then we go and forget about it. <laughs> but we sing here and we address each other. And that becomes part of who we are and part of our lives. So actually when we're out there, we might not sing to people, but we'll address them and we'll speak to them of the truth of Christ. Because it will give us joy to do that. And we know that Christ is faithful to save. In the same way, then we come together and we worship. Because we must, must, meaning how can we not? When we really know a manifestation of the Spirit, of the Spirit of God, you see, in our lives. I was reading through Rock of Ages this morning, and I'm not sure exactly. Sometimes I feel like it's addressed to us. Sometimes I feel like it's addressed to God. But I think it's addressed to God because it begins talking Rock of Ages, you know. And it's a prayer, really, to hide myself in thee. What a wonderful thing, you see. It's only by the Spirit of God that a person could really sing that from the heart. Let me hide myself. Let me hide. It's your water and your blood. It's the double cure. It takes care of my guilt and, and sin's power. It pays the penalty for my guilt. It frees me from the penalty. It frees me from sin's power so that I can walk with you. And it's sin that's destroying my life. So what I really need is to be, to be freed from its power too. So, so thank you for that. I'm going to hide myself in you. I have no other hope but that. I, you can't say that and believe that. It can't come from the heart unless the Spirit of God has filled you, you see. And then we realize the truth. It isn't the labor of my hands. I, I can't fulfill the law's demands. Um, even if I were zealous, I still would know no rest. I would just be crying continuously because I can't do anything about my sin and its guilt, so you must save me. I get that. How do you know that? <laughs> you only know that because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says, if you're filled with the Spirit, then you'll sing and give praise to God because you know it isn't you. It's him that's done this work. And then even, of course. And then we say, I don't bring anything. I just cling to the cross. I'm naked spiritually, so you must clothe me. I'm helpless. You must give me grace to empower me. I'm foul. 
So I'm going to fly to the fountain that washes me. I know that. How do you know that? The Spirit of God. So even then, when I draw this fleeting breath, so that's when I'm going to die. I'll hide myself in you. See, how do you know that? How do you do that? Only by the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Well, I could do them all, but <clears throat> I trust now you'll sing with a different understanding, perhaps, that you'll, when you sing these songs addressed to us, <clears throat> you'll say, this is the Spirit of God in us, and he's calling us to worship. He's calling us to know, and he's teaching us. We teach a great deal through hymns and songs and spiritual songs as well, and we praise God as well. And then he says this. He says, giving thanks always and for uh, everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, <clears throat> one of the things that's always true of believers in every situation, whether we're feeling a great blessing or whether we're suffering, is that we're thankful. Um, a parallel passage to this one is in Colossians in chapter 3 and verse um, 15 and 16. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. You see, here it's just left by itself. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do and were to do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Christians, you see, we have the unique privilege, unique characteristic to be thankful Always. Continuously. Why is that? Because we know that we've been given a gift. A gift that we didn't earn. A gift that we don't deserve. But a gift that means everything. Without it, we're lost. We're condemned. With it, we're loved and accepted, forgiven, reconciled to God. And, and we know we didn't do anything. We didn't bring anything to this table except our sin. God did it all. It was his decree to do it. It was his good pleasure to do it. It was his wonderful grace that he did it. We've, we've read about this. If there's anything true about this letter to the church in Ephesus, it's all about the work of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I mean, what a gift. It was a gift, you see. 
Chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, with the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. It's grace, you see. We deserve to be cast out. He, he brings us to himself. We deserve to be condemned. He forgives us. He makes us his own, you see. And it's another gift. We know that. And if you know that it's another gift, you see, then we'll always be thankful. You know, I've said this before. Many, many times I trust. But thankfulness isn't a comparison between what I have and what I need. It isn't a comparison between what I have and what I want. Now, on those two levels, most of us would be thankful because we're Americans and we have a bunch of stuff. But real gratefulness is the result of seeing what I have and comparing that to what I deserve to have. And the Christian always has that, you see. And I realize what I deserve to have But I realize what I do have because of Christ. And thus, it's thankful because it comes from grace. A couple of Greek words. One, charis, is the word for grace. In other words, another word, eucharistio, has charis in the middle, is the word for thanks. If one has received grace, the proper response is thanks. We've received grace, therefore we can always be thankful. But, but, but here Paul kind of stretches that out a bit. He says, always and for all things, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can be thankful whether times are good as we might define them or bad as we might define them because we know God is our heavenly Father. And we know that he's sovereign over all things. And we know that he's good. And we know that he's wise. And we know that he loves us because he's our father. The Heidelberg Catechism, excuse me, puts it like this. Uh, question number 27. If you're not familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, it's a catechism that came out of the Reformation um, from our Dutch brothers And sisters, verse 27, I mean, question 27, Lord's Day, number 10. says, what do you understand by the providence of God? Their answer is this. God's providence is his mighty and ever-present power. Whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, Fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. How can we not give thanks because we know that our heavenly father is sovereign over all things and loves us. And so at any moment in time, we can be thankful. We know what we have in Christ and what we deserve. And what we have is a Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us 
in every situation, in every circumstance. And thus, we can read this passage in Romans chapter 8 with, with, with joy and thankfulness. Um, the apostle writes, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Then in verse 28 he says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So everything's working in that direction to conform us to the image of his son, which nothing could be better. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, at every moment in time, regardless of the situation, uh, we can say, if God's for us, who could be against us? I know it might seem like there's a lot against us at the moment. It could be enemies from without. It could be an enemy from within. But if God is for us, who can be against us? You did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who is to condemn. Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it's written, for your sake... We're being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Ah. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? There you go. We'll have to do submission later. This table goes by a number of names in the history of the church. Communion. For it's a time when we commune with each other and with our Lord Jesus. Communion. We share together a union, a common union. Thus, communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. Indeed, it is. It's the supper I often remind us. This isn't the table of our church, but it's the Lord's table, and he invites us to it. It's the Lord's Supper. Before it was known as the Passover, then Jesus said, you know what this is about, don't you? It's about me. I'm the real deliverer. I'm the one who delivers from the slavery of sin. So it's about me. This is my supper. And another word by which this table is known is Eucharist. The table of thanksgiving. Now it's true that when Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks. When he took the wine, he gave thanks. He wasn't just giving uh, giving thanks because there was bread and wine on the table. He was giving thanks for what it meant. And so we come to this table... Is those who give thanks 
because we know by way of the witness and testimony of the Holy Spirit who glorifies Jesus, we know what this means. We know who we are apart from what Christ did. We know who we are because of what Christ did. And so when we come to this table to commune with each other and with him, and we come to this supper, which is the Lord's, we come with great thanksgiving because of Christ. Because of Christ. And you see, that's always to be true of us. We know that when we come to worship, we come with great joy because we remind each other as we sing, this is who the Lord is. This is what he has done. And then we give him thanks and praise. And then we know that always and for everything, to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord, we can be thankful. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, we come to this table. Come to this table. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring Jesus to us up close and personal. His very presence among us. And that we would know exactly what he did and why he did it and for whom. that we would know that he died. He gave his life as a ransom for many to redeem for the forgiveness of sins. Out of the great love with which he loved us for those who would believe. And so we pray as those who believe that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart from its common use among us for just food and now use it in a way that enables us to know that we're in the very presence of our Lord Jesus and that we would be filled with him as we know his word, as we depend upon him, as we come together to enjoy the gifts that you have given to us. That we may know him. So please now I pray that you would work in such a way that our faith would be strengthened. And this I pray in Jesus' name.